This week on The Futurist, Roger Holtzberg. You know, it's always about the storytelling and the experience design and and to some degree, never about the technology. Welcome back to The Futurists. I'm Rob Tursick with my co-host, Brett King. Hey, Rob. Yeah, glad, uh, glad you're back. Um, I'm happy to be back. Joining me back in the hosting chair. Not that Brian isn't a great co-host, but, um, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, you're, you're the partner in crime. So <laughs> how was the trip? It was a fantastic trip. I was on the East Coast and I had, um, I, had I visited South Carolina and then I was in New Mexico, which is a state I'm really growing fond of visiting. And while I was in South Carolina, I had a chance to go to the AR meetup in Charleston. Charleston is quite a tech hub these days. Yeah, it's growing real quick. There's a there's a booming tech scene there. They've got um, you know they've got three tier one research universities in the state of South Carolina, and then the College of Charleston, which is a liberal arts school that's reinventing itself uh, with an engineering and computer science department that is very cutting edge. And the cool thing there at all those schools I visited uh, is that they're focused on practical education, so the students are also working with local industry. Um, but along that line, I, I went to a meetup there, uh, uh, AR and VR meetup in, in uh, Charleston, which is quite good. And um, they demoed the new uh, MetaQuest Pro headset. And so I thought I'd start the show with a little bit of news from the future. Uh, about very near future topics since the MetaQuest Pro headset came out last fall. Um, and the news story there is actually quite interesting. You know, uh, for a lot of folks, the last time they tuned into VR was before the pandemic. You know, so around 2018, there was a mini boom in VR. Here in Los Angeles, where I'm right. based, there were several VR studios. Uh, and there was a big push towards immersive arcades, you know, so up a destination, a shopping mall that you would go to. And of course, the pandemic put an end to most of that activity, and quite a few of those studios went away. So as a result, a lot of people have kind of a negative uh, uh, feeling about VR, kind of lingering doubt, uh, pessimism about that field. And, and that's understandable because people have been grinding away at VR for a long time. Uh, so I was curious to see this new headset after, you know, Zuckerberg has invested tens of billions of dollars into uh, what used to be Oculus and now is called the Meta, Meta Quest, and Quest is the headset. Before the pandemic, the Quest 2 came out, and at the time, it was the best VR headset on the market. But that was quite a few years ago. That was 2018. And so now here we are back uh, to 2022, so just last fall, a new version came out. It's the MetaQuest uh, Pro, and it retails at a whopping $1,500. It's a lot of money. It's three times the price of the Quest 2. And so it's so curious to try it on and see what's different. And here's the interesting thing. It's pretty good. Uh, personally, I'm not going to coming for me. That's bucks. a big deal, man. <laughs> I know exactly. That's it. I'm You're a, a bit I'm of a, a skeptic on this stuff. I'm a tire kicker, uh, but I want to see. I want it to work, right? So I'm, I, I approach it all with a little bit of um, skepticism, but also I'm kind of excited to try it on. So uh, the the headset is much lighter. The headset has um, a new pancake lens that's 40 percent thinner than the previous lens, uh, which makes the front of it less heavy. If you remember the old VR headsets, right. and they, they have the battery heavy. in the back, right? Yeah, that's exactly that's right. So they balance, balanced right? it. There's a battery in the back and then there's lighter lens in the front. And what that means is that you barely notice you're wearing it. So one of the yeah. complaints people often had about VR headsets is that they were too heavy and, they, and you kind of noticed it when you were wearing it. I did not notice this thing at all because the battery tucks in right underneath at the back of your head. It's curved and you barely notice it at all. Uh, so the weight and the, the distribution of weight is good. 
that the straps on the headset, that was the other big issue with the previous headsets. They would have an ugly strap that went across the top of your head. A lot of people didn't like that if they had a hairstyle. Um, and so the new straps are on the side and they're quite problem. firm and they sort of snap in, they hold it snug to your head. I found that was great as well. Um, the lenses themselves are about almost 40% more pixels. So they're, they're quite a bit better resolution wow. and they have this new thing, which is great. You can uh, dial it. If, if you've ever used binoculars where you can adjust um, right, right, right. the resolution, because exactly. so, yeah. I was stunned at how sharp the resolution was. And that was always my issue in the past with VR. It was always a little fuzzy for me. And I never felt like I was going to like watch a movie in it. It would be a, a substandard experience. So the minute I put on the MetaQuest Pro, I was stunned because the resolution was quite good. But one of the things I noticed is that because I could adjust that little knob, which brings the lenses either closer or farther from your face for what they call interpupillary distance, that's the space between your eyes. Uh, what that does is that has the effect of making it sharper. And, and um, man, it was really quite a good image. Now, this new headset is designed for um, work. That's what it's intended for, hence right. the term pro. Uh, and they had all these work functions that were really kind of trippy. So, you know, you probably remember when Mark Zuckerberg a couple of years ago was getting very excited about co-working in VR. And at the time I, I was rolling demo, my eyes. Yeah. You know, people are like, come on, Mark Zuckerberg is just hyping it up here. What's Facebook's play in, in work. It just seemed preposterous, but I'll tell you what's quite interesting is um, I created three virtual screens, like a virtual desktop. And it was pretty good. I, I don't know if it's good enough to replace my desktop screen, but the idea of multiple. But that's the trajectory, right? That's where we're yeah. going with this. And and yeah. this is, you know, this is Apple's argument as well as yeah. it, for the new uh, AR glasses. Or the, the, yeah. well, it looks like now, um, you know, getting to the news um, that, uh, and when you know, by the time this show comes out, actually, we may have the news. But um, they're talking about releasing this um, mixed reality headset. Yeah. Um, and holding off on the AR glasses that's There's right some, yeah i think they've canceled the ar for the now but apple will have a toggle switch that allows you to go back and forth between right. ar and vr um think of that as like the digital crown on your apple watch right. so you know, like one tap and you can switch from one mode to the other um both of them the apple headset according to rumors and then the metaquest pro uh can track facial gestures and your eyes and thereby render your avatar with an expression that's similar to your face. And so, right, right. and that sounds really goofy. I can't believe I just said that sentence, but actually in practice, this works intuitively and it works yeah. quite well. The other interesting thing is uh, you don't necessarily need to use controllers. You know, if you use a VR unit now, you have to wear these little controllers on your hands. Um, the MetaQuest Pro is able to track your hands and you can and and you can be like controller free. And again, that's that's such a big change it was sort of a surprise and the last thing i'll share with you is pass through pass through is how you can do mixed reality right um so you could see things on your desk for instance your real desk even as you're working at a virtual desk and i got to tell you this is trippy um it was super fun to experience it's really weird because you have to there's a little, little bit of like uh cultural adjustment necessary to work in a yeah. mixed virtual and real space Man, I got to tell you, I had a blast. I don't think I'm going to spend 1500 bucks to buy one just yet, but they, there is a rumor that there's a new version of the Quest, the regular, you know, consumer Quest coming. But and that's it. I mean, as this tech gets better, it's going to get cheaper. It's going to yeah. get more accessible. I mean, you know, look at how many people could f afford the first iPhone or the first Xbox yeah. or the first yeah. laptop computers, you know, so... You know, every, yeah. every pundit has a habit of comparing this to the battle for the iPhone. And if you remember... There were a lot of terrible smartphones in the mid 2000s. I mean, they were super expensive, clunky like a brick. 
they didn't really do much. They didn't have color screens. But the real clincher for the iPhone wasn't the actual first iPhone. It was the App Store and the developer program. Yeah, yeah. And that's where the battle is going to shift really soon. Now, Facebook well, has yeah, pretty and, terrible well, reputation. It's not just the App Store, but it's the iOS as well that comes with it, right? Because, you know, yeah. like the two are tied together quite closely. And then it's the, increasingly, it's going to be the wallet ecosystem that sits in there as well. And, you know, some of those supporting mechanisms, because, you know, your ability to make a payment in VR seamlessly and things like that, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be integrated, um, you know, in there as well as. Yeah. And, and you'll hear that from people who've, who've been te road testing the MetaQuest Pro, uh, they complain because a lot of apps aren't yet developed for the haptic interface or the, uh, the hands-free interface. Right. And so they're having a tough time logging into the apps that they use on their computer, for instance. Uh, so the battleground is going to shift from hardware pretty quickly to developer program and availability of apps. And, you know, Apple famously has a couple million apps in the app store and a huge, vibrant ecosystem of developers. So all eyes are now on Apple's upcoming worldwide developer conference, which is where they expect to be making the big announcements. Um, but this battle of ecosystems will be quite interesting because I think Facebook is going to be in a tough spot there. They have never been kind to their developers. And while everybody in the world complains about that 30% toll that Apple charges uh, on iPhone apps. Right developer. It, it, yeah. it turns out that Facebook is going to charge or Meta will charge but, almost you know, 50%. I, I, it's like saying who's going to win, you know, at, at iOS or Android. I, I don't think, and I think there's room for a few different players in this. Well, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, the way the news works these days, everything's like a sports event. You know, somebody has to win and somebody has to lose. I think you're right. right. There's room for multiple wins. And but on that note, it's worth noting that there's a couple of other headsets that are notable. Um, ByteDance, which is the company that owns TikTok and has been inflicting incredible pain on Facebook for the past two years, they recently bought a company called Pico, and they have a headset that's comparable, at right. least on paper. Katie was talking about this the other day in the other show, right? That's right, exactly. And then, of course, HTC, which is one of the first companies to come out with a VR headset. Uh, in November, they launched uh, oh, a XR Elite, so they have a new update to the Vive headset. And um, that has comparable specs, and it's only $1,000, so it's, it's the cheapest of the bunch. I haven't checked those out yet, um, but I bring all this up because I thought it'd be a nice way to start our conversation today with our guest. Roger Holtzberg is someone I've known for a long time. Uh, we were introduced ages ago by my friend Jay Shanker, who sends his regards. And um, Roger was at Disney Imagineering at the time. He's a director at Disney Imagineering. Now, Brett, for our listeners who might not know, Disney Imagineering is really like the department of the future. It's where Disney invents the future. So we'll ask, we'll ask Roger about that. But since that time, he's had a big life change and an epiphany, and he's moved on to some other things. So we'll talk a bit more about what he's doing at Reimagine Well and My Bridge for Life. Roger, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Hey, Thanks, Roger. Bob. It's great to be here. Um, you know, it's funny, all the conversation about VR headsets, which back in the day at Imagineering were HMDs, and the first VR attraction we worked on was back in the 1990s. Wow. Um, you know, at Disney Quest, um, where the Marvel Comics villains were able to be battled with lightsabers in a VR attraction um, that required lowering the headsets on cables because they were so heavy, and the person playing the game leaning against a bench because the equilibrium loss was so crazy right. while you were standing with a VR headset and a lightsaber in your hand that people were falling over. So we needed to clip them into benches. But yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting to watch the technology 
develop um, and interesting to see the latest rev. And it'll be interesting to see if it truly takes off because I have developer kits in my garage back from the 1990s. That's true. There's a big question about that with VR. It's sort of what's the use case, uh, you know, and how often will we use it? Apparently the current generation of uh, HMDs, they're used about two times a month on average, which is not very exciting. Um, and what we've, learned, what, what we've learned in the clinical setting, particularly with pediatric patients, is about a third of the time, they don't want to put one on. So unless a, unless a VR headset is required, when we do our medical applications, we have them available on a computer screen as well as on the VR headset because about a third of the patients will put the VR headset on and say, nope, I don't want to do it. Yeah. And, you know, and in the clinical setting, you don't want to deny a patient the ability to, uh, you know, do a, a, a clinical experience just because they don't want to put a headset on. No, I, I agree, Roger. But I think that, you know, a, a lot of that is us learning about how to build these units so they're comfortable and accessible for everybody. You know, there was reports early on about um, people getting nauseous using yeah. um, VR headsets and so forth. You know, a, a lot of that is about GPU um, processing speeds and it's about the quality of the screens, right? Um, and each of those are improving exponentially over time. So I assume that we're going to address those things. And I also think that, you know, I mean, it, it, I was having this debate the other day with one of my my crypto DeFi friends here in in Bangkok, and he was saying, "Really, do you think people are going to wear augmented reality glasses?" And I said, "Well, you you have to look at uh, like this is the futurist angle, right? Thinking like a futurist is if you look at the development of computing over the last sixty years, you know, computers were extreme well, eighty years." extremely sophisticated pieces of equipment that required, you know, um, high degrees of engineering capability just to utilize. In the old days, we did punch cards to program, you know, computers. And then we got a keyboard, but we had a printer, you know, no screens. And there were green screens and there was uh, GUIs and so forth. But, you know, if you follow that trajectory of computing, then computing's computing's getting more powerful, much, much easier to use. But the ultimate ease of use is computing that is just embedded in the world around you. And that's clearly where technologies like augmented reality and voice-based smart uh, speakers and things like that, you know, self-driving cars is taking us into this world of you know, where we're immersed in, in computing. And so I think, um, you know, it's, it's not a question of um, if, like, I don't think there's a scenario where AR just doesn't happen. You know, I mean, as a futurist, I think it's just a matter of when we get the tech so it's compelling for people to use. It might be well, in the car as a heads up display. Yeah, it's also a question of what the application is that requires the technology. So, you know, in from my experience at Imagineering and from my point of view in my teaching at CalArts, you know, with students who are looking at we, the class is called Designing Deep Futures. Um, it's the use case that needs to exist before the technology is appropriate. I mean, I, you know, I can... I can date myself and tell you that, you know, one of my my very first come to Jesus technology moments was the 1964 World's Fair, seeing 
what I believed at that moment as an eight-year-old kid, Abraham Lincoln, come back to life and talk to me from a stage in great moments with Mr. Lincoln at that World's Fair, the technology was as rudimentary and clunky and horrible, right, as you can imagine for audio animatronics in that time. Um, but the story and the use of that technology was so emotionally captivating that it drove the audio animatronic, you know, future for the next 40 years of the Walt Disney Company. That's a really good point. It's uh, if the story's good enough, we get immersed in it and we almost persuade ourselves, you know, we'll suspend disbelief long enough to get into the narrative and the imagination fills in the gaps. It does. And the technology grows along the way, you know, about the time we met, I was piloting an attraction at Imagineering with a free-swimming animatronic dolphin. That was circa 1999 with Edge Innovations using the technology, some of the technology they had developed for films like Free Willy and Flipper and The Abyss. And we won't realize that attraction with the version 3.0 version of animatronic swimming creatures until 2025. Um, you know, part of what I really focus on in my teaching as well is is really walking students how to keep their vision and their passion for that vision alive. Right. Mm. Because, uh, you know, I, we've Bob, we've been around long enough to know a vision of the future doesn't materialize tomorrow. Right? Yeah, that's true. And you've got to sustain it and you might have the vision was, but the but you might not be able to realize the vision right that's the challenge you got to you got to keep that flame alive exactly you've got to um and you know and so you know it's it's been interesting you know the edge innovations project with this dolphin which um which laid dormant for a decade right. and a half you know um came back to life just before pandemic but won't be real it won't be realized we finally have a contract with a city in the united states of america right to do a an animatronic free swimming attraction there um for their city centennial centennial in 2025 but the goal of that project you know and the passion of that project comes from wanting to be able to save species on the planet as they begin to get you know and, and to change the dynamics of the marine park industry to enable it to be successful and profitable again now, Roger, you, you have so many experiences that we want to go through in a sequence so our audience can follow. And, you know, you've been a, a director, you've designed theme park rides, you were at Disney Imagineering. Um, then you launched this business, Reimagine Well, where you're working in a healthcare setting, but in a way, kindling the imagination. Of course, now you're a teacher also at CalArts. Before we go into your whole chronology and all the lessons you've learned, uh, we would be very interested to hear all that. But we're going to go to a break in a moment. And before we do, we have this thing we like to do on the show where we're, we ask you a series of quick questions. So here's just a quick response about the things that inspired you to think about the future. That's one of the things we like to do on this show is help our audience understand ways to think about the future. And so your inspirations are going to inspire other people. And this is the part that Brett likes to do. So, Brett, are you ready for the rapid fire Man. question? Here's the quick fire lightning round. Roger. What was the first science fiction you remember being exposed to? TV, books, movies? 2001, the original movie in the theater. I just watched that again. It's just a masterpiece of filmmaking, really. 
Planet of the Apes somewhere around the same time. <laughs> Very cool. Um, what technology do you think has most changed humanity? The printing press. That's a good one. Yep. Um, name a futurist or an entrepreneur that has uh, personally influenced you. Francis Arnold. Who? I've not heard of Francis Arnold. Uh, yeah, she's French. Uh, she is uh, head of bioengineering at Caltech. Um, she's a recipient of the Draper Award and wow, and a recent uh, Nobel recipient. Wow, yeah. I should have heard of her. We'll have to find her and get her on the show. Actually, you know, on the biotech stuff, I'd love to have um, Hugh Her on as well. You know, the MIT Harvard roboticist that built himself new legs. That would be great. Um, what is, Roger, what's the best prediction that you've heard a futurist or an entrepreneur make? Uh, Andrew Hessel is a pretty close friend. And uh, the idea that synthetic biology will enable us to approach cleaning the environment uh, in ways we'd never before considered um, makes me feel hopeful. He's a yeah, good friend of mine. And he, we had him on the show uh, in one of our very first episodes uh, because we think synthetic biology is super important for the future. It touches Absolutely. so many parts of uh, the economy and society. Uh, so I share that. Uh, okay, well, let's take well, a break let's right now. Break. Then. Um, so we'll, we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Futurists. With me, Rob Terzik, and my co-host, Brett King. And this week, our guest is Roger Holtzberg, who's going to share with us a whole bunch about Disney Imagineering and the application of what he learned there to the healthcare field. So stay tuned. We'll be right back in a minute. Provoke Media is proud to sponsor, produce, and support the Futurist podcast. Provoke.fm is a global podcast network and content creation company with the world's leading fintech podcast and radio show, Breaking Banks. And of course, it's spin-off podcasts, Breaking Banks Europe, Breaking Banks Asia Pacific, and the FinTech Five. But we also produce the official Finnovate podcast, Tech on Reg, Emerge Everywhere, the podcast of the Financial Health Network, and NextGen Banker. For information about all our podcasts, go to provoke.fm or check out Breaking Banks, the world's number one FinTech podcast and radio show. Welcome back to The Futurists. Uh, I'm your host, Brett King, with uh, my good pal, Rob Tursek. Uh, this week's guest, Roger Holzberg, uh, is joining us. He has uh, some really interesting history from the days at uh, Disney Imagineering. Actually, maybe to kick this uh, segment off, Roger, um, you know, can you talk about anything you worked on at Imagineering in the early days that is now reality that you're really proud of? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, prior to going to Disney, I had done some IMAX movies. The Living Sea would probably be the one I'm most proud of. And and I went to Disney, um, and one of the first projects I had the opportunity to work on was Soarin' Over California. So I know we all like to talk about VR. Um, it at, at Imagineering, virtual reality is not limited to a head mount display and a high def screens strapped to your face in Soren over California. We boom 187 people up into an inverted Omnimax dome with, you know, with full surround sound smell, uh, you know, motion base and everything else. And 
that's about as immersive an experience as is possible, I believe. Um, and it also delivers on the Disney Imagineering promise to develop experiences for guests from the age of five to 105. Um, a five-year-old can ride that ride with a 105-year-old right next to them and have extraordinary experiences. So, you know, in terms of immersion, I think that's uh, an attraction I had the opportunity to work on that is the most immersive. The one, uh, one of the attractions, well, the uh, the Millennium Celebration, I was one of the creative directors on at Walt Disney World back when we believed Y2K was going to end the world and airplanes were going to fall out of the sky. Um, the, the interesting, the, the most inspiring thing I think I ever got to do with the Walt Disney Company was working on Millennium Village, which was a prototypical world without borders. Pre-9-11, we never could have done that today. Right. Um, pre 9-11, we had Israel and Saudi Arabia next to one another as countries in Millennium Village with young people from their countries sharing their gifts to the world. Mm. Um, and there was the, the technology which was utilized in the storytelling and the experience was extraordinary across the pavilion. So that that was one. Um, but the one that you know I want to touch on because it was a part of my transition into healthcare was an attraction I got to work on called Turtle, Turtle Talk with Crush. Um, the uh, there was a desire to do something new and different at the Living Seas Pavilion at Epcot. Uh, Disney was in the beginning of you know, what became the acquisition of Pixar, Finding Nemo had come out and was a huge hit and turning Crush the Turtle into a real, into a factor um, that could be animated in real time uh, with guests was the, the first real, uh, real time use of vector technology, um, you know, with guests in a high def, fully realized Pixar quality animation world. Um, well, Roger, you're, to... you're, you're telling us a little bit about uh, your experiences making different attractions. And what I'm hearing you say is that there's a methodology at Disney Imagineering, which is like an R&D lab, and that methodology combines two things. It takes advantage of technologies that are coming to fruition. You, know, you sort of have to time it just right so that the technology is ready for the mass scale, for the mass, for the public. But at the same time, you also take into account real world events. Uh, you mentioned, re for instance, reference to 9-11 um, reference and how that might change the expectation of the audience. But you also mentioned, for instance, Finding Nemo. So, you know, a big Disney feature film that's coming that will also change or recalibrate uh, user experience or expectation. So it's this combination of like the technology that's ready and then also the real world and what that's doing to people's experience and expectation. Is, is that how it works there? You know, it's always about the storytelling and the experience design and and to some degree, never about the technology, right? Mm -hmm. I, Disney always wants to be at the bleeding edge of technology, but as you know, by the time you develop and that launch an attraction, that technology is probably 18 months old. Right. So, you know, when you think of a ride like Soren over California, the concept prototype for that ride was actually built out of an erector set 
on, you know, on the ride designers dining room table and brought into Imagineering and demoed, you know, with booming arms that were, you know, twisted together out of an erector set. Um, the, the turtle talk with crush technology that that fueled the attraction was an adaptation of the Waldo animator animators tools that were used at Pixar. Um, oh. I, I think, you know, I think it is the, and I find that what I do now with at, at reimagine, well, we never think about inventing a technology, but we absolutely are utilizing existing technologies to, create patient experiences that are healing in a clinical sense, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you talked about the iPhone a minute ago. In iPhone 1.0, there wasn't a lot of new technology. Yeah. You know, the, there was there was the right package for the right technology with the right model, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me and in terms of my thinking about the future, it's not about inventing technology. It's about inventing the right experience for the right audience at the right time. Now, you've made reference to um, to healthcare a couple of times. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Reimagine Well and your journey from Disney to the healthcare field? I will. You know, so I got diagnosed with cancer in 2004. Um, and the, uh, and I'm not at all shy about it. It, uh, was thyroid cancer. It was a big wake up call on the eve of my 50th birthday. Um, the, probably the greatest gift the Walt Disney company ever gave to, gave to me was the senior executive physical program, which I could go into, you know, and say something's off. I don't know what it is, but, uh, my mom died of cancer and my cousin died when we were teenagers of cancer. And I'm, pretty freaked out and uh, let's keep looking until we find it. And that program enabled my physician to order a full body MRI and early detection is a great tool. Right? Mm. Um, wow. at my family, my, my, my family was in the med, we're all doctors. My dad wanted me to go to med school. My FU in the late 1960s was no, I'm going to art school. Right. After that diagnosis, he came back and said, well, maybe you ought to rethink that. How about some volunteer work? So for the next four years, I pulled together a group of Imagineering colleagues and we did a lot of volunteer work. And one of the things we did was take the Turtle Talk with Crush attraction right, and do a scaled down version of it and brought it to Children's Hospital of Orange County. Oh. Um, the uh, so suddenly Turtle talk suddenly crushed the turtle was no longer this goofball surfer dude, right? Um, who was doing bits and talking a little bit about planetary protection and marine animals at Epcot. Uh, suddenly crushed the turtle was a comfort friend for pediatric patients. And I learned what a child life specialist was, that there was a job where people's careers were spent normalizing children's lives when they were in treatment. Um, I learned what distraction therapy was, that there was a, that there had been studies done on what is called distraction therapy for decades, and that there were real clinical results to it. It was, it was an aha moment, right? Um, I then did some volunteer work again with my, you know, I kind of thought of them as my uh, Imagineering cancer hit squad, right? We, we, we redid the lobby at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. Again, a whole different wave of 
uh, how to do experience design in a hospital. And then we did a support platform for Livestrong.org, and I ended up doing the media for the launch of Livestrong.com. All of that got bubbled up to a level to get me recruited to be the first creative director at the National Cancer Institute. Um, oh. Yeah, so, you know, so I- is uh, it right for me to say, Roger, that you took your experience at Disney and you found a way to maybe redirect it um, to help people who are going through traumatic healthcare challenges and in a way kind of comfort them or even inspire them um, and give them hope. Is, is that what, is that the story? Is that your trajectory? That's where it started. And that's, and that's very accurate. And, uh, you know, I can tell you when I was in treatment, I watched paint peel off of walls, you know, in a hospital that was built circa 1980. I also was a little bit crazy in my own personal health plan and decided I would start doing triathlons a year out of cancer treatment. Maybe my, yeah, anyway. Um, yeah. And I was swimming off of uh, the coast of Malibu you know, oh, wow. at one point, thinking about the fact that I was watching paint peel off of walls. And for me, growing up in South Florida in on the water, being in the ocean is my healing place. Mm -hmm. And being around, you know, and I was swimming with a buddy and a female dolphin and a pup popped up about 10 feet away oh, wow. from us. And I went, this is the most healing experience I can imagine. Why yeah. wasn't I here when I was in, you know, when I was in treatment for cancer right. and the light bulb went off? Wait a minute. You actually could have been here. You used to make rides for Disney, right? Um, there's no reason you couldn't have been here in every way but physically. And that's where the concept of an infusionarium was born, right? So, um, so I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll bring you up to speed a little bit. Um, the uh, attraction Turtle Talk with Crush was done at Children's Hospital of Orange County. I, by this time, was working at the National Cancer Institute redoing the pediatric and adolescent parts of cancer.gov, our, our federal cancer website, and taking the institute into new media and social media. And the clinical director for Children's Hospital of Orange County came to me and said, do you, does your company only do work for the government or do you work, do work with hospitals as well? And Leonard Sender is my co-founder of Reimagine Well. And I said, well, why are you asking? He said, I've got a problem that I'd like you to try and help solve. And I said, great. I love problem solving. You know, let's do, can I bring a few of my former Imagineering colleagues down to Children's Hospital of Orange County and we'll meet with some of your clinical teams and your oncology social workers and child life specialists and let's do an Imagineering style brainstorm. And we did. And the problem we were looking at was pediatric and adolescent young adult segment of cancer is the it, the AYA segment is a really challenging segment. It's 15 to 39 year olds. Um, he said, you know, pediatric and those patients, they get diagnosed, they get depressed, they get anxious, they, they retreat from their community. And that depression in combination with chemotherapy just doesn't mix well. How can we change the chemotherapy infusion experience? And the concept we came up with, with an Imagineering style brainstorm where there's no such thing as a bad idea, was the infusionarium where patients direct their own healing experience. So, you know, this is some of my former Disney colleagues say so what, it must what's be the tech, What's the tech behind the infusionarium? Because you uh, haven't defined that. Yeah, good question. It's it's video. It, it's okay. it's video and wraparound screens. 
Um, so, you know, there, I mean, there's been um, some really good work done with uh, PTSD treatment in VR, you know, yeah. and so um, it'd be interesting, you know, to see, I mean, the, you know, pain management as well. They, they say that, um, you know, if people are in VR and they're experiencing pain, that they can get relief relief from pain and things like that. I think there's a lot of potential for, for the tech. Just coming back to, did, did you ever hear the theory that crush the turtle is uh, is high? <laughs> no, because the, the, this is true. Because <laughs> sea turtles eat jellyfish, like right? And the yeah. jellyfish, they don't hurt the sea turtles, but it intoxicates them. So, you know, when he's totally dude, you know, Crush is there, you know, there's a theory that Crush is like a, a real surfer dude, you know? Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I do I do want to get into some of the, like, in terms of the process for Imagineering, you, you talked about Crush the Turtle, how it's uh, helped in, uh, in um, you know, the, the process with the, the healing. But in terms of that, um, forecasting element. Um, you said, you know, Disney doesn't invent tech, but what they do do is they utilize a lot of that tech. So, um, you know, in, in the Imagineering process, it sounds like you guys are mapping out stuff you want to do and execute on, but you're waiting for the tech to catch up sometimes. Is that sort of an accurate way of describing the way that that sort of forecasting internally goes on? Sure, I think it's accurate. Um, in the healthcare world, there are some pretty extraordinary restrictions sometimes for the tech. So, you know, we considered with our initial infusionarium builds whether it would make sense to use a head mount display as a part of it and infection control right, becomes a massive part of the equation, particularly with patients who are immunocompromised because they're on chemotherapy. Um, Just the act of taking a headset off of one person and putting it on another person could literally kill them. Right. So, you know, so it's a there's a a number of other different kinds of considerations that go into the requirements for a project. But, you know, so we so for the infusionarium experience it was screen based but there were other healing modalities that we developed and work in that where we do use head mount displays and vr and one of them one of them in particular requires it super fascinating you know and the study is going on a project that we developed again in a similar way and we always do the imagineering brainstorm you know, we, we at Reimagine Well, we never say that it's our job to say to patients what will be healing for them. Our job is to listen to them and give them what they believe will be healing on a so patient you, level. On a- so, Roger, you've talked about this brainstorming approach a few times now. How does it differ from other organizations that you've worked with? What, what makes the brainstorming approach at Imagineering unique? Is it the people? Is it the, is there a methodology to it? How does it differentiate? You know, in the, in the simplest way, it's from the bottom up, um, as opposed to from the top down. Um, you talked in your opening, you know, about, uh, some technologies that are coming out, you know, from some other companies, some VR technologies. If the, I would say it comes from the bottom up. When I first went to the National Cancer Institute, I went to the 
fellow who was my boss at the time, and we're still great friends. And I said, I want to do an institute-wide creative pitch-in where every single person at this institute can literally pitch an idea on a single piece of paper for three minutes. Um, and th uh, as to how cancer.gov, as the gold standard of cancer treatment and research on planet Earth, could better achieve its mission. And he said, it'll never work. They'll never do it. It'll never happen. I can tell you some of the best ideas came out of a healthcare worker in the cafeteria at, you know, at the one of the National Institutes of Health campuses, right? Some of the most important ideas came out of, you know, one of the drivers, right? Who yeah, said the people on the front line are the ones who really know what the what the customer is dealing with. You know, exactly. Roger, let's talk a little bit about your work with CalArts, because now at this stage in your life, you're transmitting what you know to a new generation, which is a very hopeful and positive thing. What are the lessons you're teaching CalArts students about world building and why is that so important? Well, it's important because if there is a future, the young minds of today are going to invent it, right? Yeah, they get to clean um, up the mess we're leaving behind, right? Yeah, and CalArts gave me that an incredible opportunity to essentially use my classes as studios. So, in, so I teach two classes there. Um, in the healthcare by design class, we partner with a hospital. And I have the class work as the Blue Sky Lab to develop a pilot to solve a real world problem in a hospital. Mm. Um, and we've wound up with three different programs that have been implemented into hospital networks out of that lab. One, The most fun one is an AR app designed mm. to get patients out of bed and ambul ambulatory post-op as soon as possible. Um, it is in the pediatric world again, right? Um, but yeah, it 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 worked incredibly well. And multiple times, CalArts has then given a grant to take the pilot and turn it into the product for the hospital. So that's happened twice. Um, well, so your students, the, in a way, are your own imagineering force. You're turning the students into imagineers. I... Yes, my dream is that over and the, the reason I want to teach is to empower and educate younger minds to take over the vision of uh, the vision that that I have uh, empowered them to become passionate about. Cool. Um, you know, the most exciting thing is when my students graduate from CalArts and about six times now I've gotten to hire them to work on projects because, mm -hmm. you know, they are thinking about, they've either been a part of developing the concept and mm -hmm. then it makes sense to bring them on to help do the implementation. I, I learned early on that if you give young minds the tools to build with, they'll come up with solutions that you never thought were, that you never imagined. Okay, that's a good jumping point, jumping off point for us, because on this show, one of the things we'd love to close with is a vision of the future, the far future, you know, and now I want you to put on your futurist thinking cap, if you will. Um, Don't give be us a scenario, for, Roger. give us a scenario for 20 years out, uh, 30 years out. What do you think the students that you're teaching today, what, what do you envision that they'll be implementing in a quarter of a century? Boy, I, I, I'm going to quote directly from some of the finals that were delivered just a couple of months ago. And they might, they're very different than what we might have expected. Um, 
One of them was about, well, one of them very clearly was about a green food project, right? That, that, that essentially takes a permaculture approach, you know, to food production and re-engineers the agriculture systems of the world back to a localized permaculture approach, right? Mm. Um, another one, though, was <laughs> was a <laughs> a hysterical campaign called Traitor Joe's. <laughs> which be- yes, which began with a uh, with a social media campaign showing Trader Joe's that they weren't living up to their environmental commitments or responsibilities and embarrassing them to do the right thing. Um, mm. Another one which I which I fell in love with, and it was inspired by. So Andrew was a guest speaker. Andrew Hessel at oh. my last Designing Deep Futures class um, was how um, clothing and utilization of synthetic biology would be would would be would scale to um, cleansing, you know, to, to reducing global warming, right, through everything from eradication of plastics to um, changing the composition of the air. So, I mean, those are some of the far distant, you know, thoughts. That so they all have in common right? this notion of uh, preserving the environment, maybe being more efficient with the environment or more efficient with what we're growing. That's quite interesting. So sustainability is clearly a big theme among your students. The cliff that what yes, it's very interesting. Um, the I I brought in you know a longevity specialist in my first class and learned that at least the young student minds of today actually don't want to hear from the uh, immortality folks, right? That is not where they're, that's not the cliff that they're looking at. The mm-hmm. cliff that they're looking at is the end of the environment and the environmental holocaust. And that seems to be where they're focusing. And they're focusing on it from, yeah, from a food sustainability and from an environmental sustainability, utilizing everything from synthetic biology to holding corporations accountable for their pledges. Very cool. Well, this has been a very fun and interesting conversation, and uh, I'd certainly love to continue talking to you about inventing deep futures. That seems like an inspirational project. What words of advice do you have for folks who are listening? If you're uh, if you're able to give them any advice about how to think better about the future, what would you encourage them to do? I would encourage them to begin by looking back at the aha moments they had as young people, making notes about those documenting why they are incredibly passionate about those things, because that passion and that commitment and that emotional connection to what you believe important is important as a young person is what sustains you to be able to achieve those things when you have the ability to do it. Right on. Well, Roger, it's been a great pleasure to reconnect with you on the show. Thanks for joining us here on The Futurists. Uh, It's been interesting to hear your trajectory from Disney into the healthcare world, and now as an educator as well at CalArts. Our guest this week has been Roger Holtzman. Uh, Really, very fun to have you back with us, and thanks for sharing those insights about Disney Imagineering and that process. Where can people find out more information about the the work you're doing, Roger? 
Well, the Wikipedia page is actually fairly good. Um, you know, um, I'd say it's, uh, yeah, so there's a Wikipedia page, Roger Holzberg, um, and the Reimagine Well website um, is has got our full product suite, both uh, our Infusionarium immersive products, as well as our VR-based clinical products on it. Right on. Well, thanks for joining us. And folks, you've been listening to The Futurists um, with myself and Brett King as our co-hosts and uh, our engineer. We want to thank Kevin Hersham, our producer, Elizabeth Severance, and the whole crew at Provoke Media. They've been very helpful in getting the show going. And thanks to everybody who's listening, who's sent in suggestions, questions, advice, ideas, opinions, uh, people who disagree. We love the dialogue. It's been a lively chat and we welcome it. Uh, and thank you all for those who have been uh, encouraging us with five-star reviews. That really helps people discover the show. Job, and the growth of the show has been going very, very well. So we want to encourage everyone listening. If you wouldn't mind, if you like the show and you want other people to find it, please do stop and give us a five-star review, whether that's on Apple or Spotify or any other podcast service. And so for all the folks here at, at Provoke, we want to thank you for listening. Thank you, Roger, for joining us. And we will see you in the future. In the future. Well, that's it for The Futurists this week. If you like the show, we sure hope you did. Please subscribe and share it with the people in your community. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can ping us anytime on Instagram and Twitter at, at Futurist Podcast for the folks that you'd like to see on the show or the questions that you'd like us to ask. Thanks for joining. And as always, we'll see you in the future.